As we begin the new year, many of us may be feeling the weight of the past and the uncertainty of the future. But today, we come together to remind ourselves that every day is a chance for a fresh start. No matter what has happened in the past, we have the opportunity to learn from our mistakes, let go of our regrets, and to embrace the promise from God of a new beginning. Here with today's message is Jim Scudder, Jr. As we start a new year, there's plenty of things to worry about. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's inflation. But since you don't have enough to worry about, I thought I'd add some more things. I was reading a story this week about a man from LaGrange Park, Illinois, who was jogging in the forest preserve and suddenly felt something hit him on the back of his head. He said at first he thought that it was a squirrel. Now, I don't know about you, but I think most of us would be pretty freaked out by something hitting us in the back of the head that had some claws. Turns out that it was not a squirrel, but it was an owl. An owl. And uh, so he, he swatted it away, and it came back two more times. And so as I was reading this, I'm thinking, wow, I didn't even know I had to worry about that if I ever do go jogging, you know? I think that's part of the problem. You know, creatures are wired to attack things that are fleeing, you know? So the thing is, just walk slow. And then in the article, it says, oh, by the way, here's a list of 15 things that are trying to kill you. 15 things that are trying to kill you. So I I wrote this list down for you. Did you know this? Number 15. All right. Elephants. When's the last time you were worried about elephants trying to kill you? (laughs) If you guys could put this on the TV screens on the balcony, that'd be great too. Elephants. How many people are killed by elephants a year? A hundred. A hundred people. Um, I don't know. I never, I never thought that that would be possible. Okay, how about this? Number 14, lions. Okay, yeah, we get that, right? That's why we live in a uh, city, Chicago, that we don't even have to fear the bears, let alone <laughs> the lions. They kill 100 people a year. It's a lot less than I would have thought, but still a lot of people. Number 13, you weren't even worried about this when you woke up this morning, but the the 13th most dangerous thing trying to kill you is a hippopotamus. Hippopotamuses kill 500 people a year. Now you don't want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Okay, now this one, again, wouldn't surprise us, but number 12, crocodiles. Crocodiles kill a 1,000 people a year. I don't want to mess with a crocodile. This one, though, you wouldn't even think about. Number 11 is a tapeworm. Ooh, yeah. All you skinny people need to get checked for this. Um, a 1,000 a people die a year. As a result, of, and there's a lot of people that have tapeworms. Unfortunately, it's a, uh, obviously a, a, a dilemma that doesn't have to be, but in poorer countries it, it does exist. The, uh, another 
uh, worm is the roundworm. Asicarius, roundworm, kills 2,700 people a year. This one, you probably won't be surprised at. Number nine are scorpions. Scorpions. On our Grand Canyon rafting trip, uh, Dr. Danny Faulkner thought it would be fun every night to get his black light out and shine it because the scorpions glow in black light. And I would rather not have known all of the scorpions that were hanging out on the cliffs because you're sleeping out in the, on, in the open on those. Anyways, we survived, but 3,500 didn't every year from scorpions. Uh, number eight was the uh, tessie fly. Tetsi fly. The tetsi fly kills 3,500 people a year. It's kind of gross. It feeds on blood and it transmits diseases. Uh, this one, though, I never really was worried about the freshwater snail, number seven. Uh, if they can catch you, they can kill you. Um, 4,400 slow people were killed. Uh, in, no, this is an, another, uh, I, it's kind of gross. I won't get into it, but it's, it's, uh, there's, there's parasites that are associated with the snail and people uh, get that in, from the water. Anyways, you probably wanna, don't want to go swimming again in any lakes or streams. Uh, number six, the kissing bug. 8,000 people, teenagers are killed a year <laughs> by the kissing bug. They might sound sweet, but they're carriers, carriers of a deadly disease. And it bites the the host through the thin skin of the around the mouth. So that's why they call it a kissing bug. It leaves behind droppings that infect that wound. Pretty disgusting, but uh, mostly found in uh, Latin America. But some have reported, been reported in South uh, Southern United States. So beware. You didn't even have to worry about this until today, did you? Number five, yeah, dogs. Dogs, your cute little whatever you call that thing in your purse. Um, 17,400 people a year are killed by dogs. They say, no, no, that's not. Well, 99% of that's from rabies. Okay, rabies uh, from wild dogs that are you know, prevalent in other countries. But that is true. Uh, 17,400 people a year die from dogs. Number four, the sand fly. 24,200 people die a year. The females feed on blood, and they uh, produce eggs, and they transmit the, the parasites. So be careful about the sand fly. Then, number three, this one I would not have been surprised at, is the snake. It uh, kills 60,000 uh, people a year. That really uh, surprised me, that number. And then, this one doesn't surprise me, the creatures trying to kill you, the humans, Humans. Humans kill 580,000 other humans every year. And that's, uh, some is by war, but a lot, most of it is by murder. Isn't that awful? So you look, look around, and, and that, the, the thing you need to fear mostly is, is sitting next to you. And then, no, not sitting next to you, hopefully. Number one. Now, this one will probably shock you and you kids that don't like to go out into nature. Uh, close your eyes. Uh, the mosquito. The mosquito is the number one killer 
because 830,000 people a year die from mosquito-borne diseases. Now, I obviously didn't include like cancer and heart attacks and all that. So that's a whole nother layer of things that you need to worry about. You say, wait a second, Pastor Scudder, we're sharks. Where are sharks? You know, sharks didn't even make the list because they only kill about five to 10 people a year. They say vending machines are more dangerous than sharks. (laughs) Not the stuff in the vending machines, but the vending machines themselves kill more people than sharks. So the next time you're out there, uh, swimming. By the way, I'm not talking about shark bites, yeah, but, but shark uh, deaths. So um, now inflation doesn't seem so bad, does it? Well, I tell you what, with all of the things to worry about in this world, and truly there are many, and we, we chuckle at a lot of these things, but these are things that we do worry about. I'm grateful for the solace provided in the scripture in these verses. In Lamentations 3, in verse 22, the Bible says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Mercies of the Lord. Because his compassions fail not. The next verse. They are new every morning. Every morning. And then the great phrase, great is thy faithfulness. Think about that. Think about because God is eternal and his mercies don't end, his, his mercies are not consumed, his compassions fail not, and, and these, these compassions, these mercies are new every morning and he's eternal, we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about God running out of mercy for me. Now somebody wrote this and this This is true. God's mercy towards you will never finish, will never be concluded, will never be gone, will never wear out, will never fail, will never lose its ability to function on your behalf, will never grow weary, will never perish, will never be in a state of ruin. Imagine that. God's mercies are new every morning. His mercy is born from his immovable love toward you. Let's think about God's mercy today as we start fresh, as we have a fresh start in this new year. Let's think about his mercy. God's mercy, I believe, is explained beautifully, not only in this passage in Lamentations, but also in the New Testament and Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, if you really want to understand God's mercy, this is a great passage. And we're going to be bouncing back and forth between Ephesians 2 and 1 John 4 today to understand God's mercy, God's love, God's grace, and how it's counteracting God's holiness, justice, and righteousness. So very important attributes or characteristics of God that all work together in one thing. Okay, Ephesians 2, it says in verse 1, and you hath he quickened. This is an old English word that means made alive. Now you say, Pastor, why are you using such an old version, the King James Version? I'll tell you why I use it. 
The reason is, if you'll look at the texts that underlie the New Testament, the only Bible, the only English translation that uses just the what's called the received text, the tried and true, the, the majority text, most of the texts that are in existence, we don't have any originals, but we have copies of copies, of the vast majority of all those are the received text. And the King James is the only one that relies exclusively on the received text. So I believe it's the most accurate English translation. Now we have to deal with some older words. We have to maybe do a little more looking up words and a little more work. Is that a bad thing? <laughs> I actually think it's a good thing. So um, if there was a, a version that was modern and it only used the King James, you say, well, what about like the new King James? And there are some that do use the received text, but they footnote the, er- the erroneous text that, that um, I would be against. So footnoting and by saying like, this verse wasn't in the oldest and best manuscripts. That kind of diminishes the, the text of the King James. So anyways, that's why I use it. So every now and then you come to a word like quickened. So we have to look, in, look at that and understand it. Uh, one way to do it is uh, an app on your phone. And I believe it's free. Um, Olive Tree. If you want to get Olive Tree, you can put on the, strong, the King James with Strong's. King James with Strong's. And then you just tap on a word, and it tells you the concordance. It gives you the, the definition of that word, of especially like this one. So, for you hath he quickened. So who, who has God made alive? Those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those that have believed that he died for them and rose again, and, and you trusted in him alone. The payment of Jesus on the cross. You hath been quickened. You have been made alive. You're born again. You're reborn And that's very important because it says who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before salvation, we were lost. We were as if we were dead. We have no hope. And we we actually have no way to, to please God. We have no way to do right. A lot of people try to do right. They're moral. They're religious. But they still, if they're honest, they'll still find that they fail. Right? We cannot do it. We are dead in trespasses and sins, and therefore we need to be quickened. We need to be made alive. Okay, now it goes more into the condition that we are in before salvation in verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. What's the course of this world? I would say uh, open up your social media app and just start reading. That's pretty much the course of this world. Uh, or turn on a television, or uh, read a, a popular novel. That's the course of this world. We didn't know that, you know, God has certain designs and expectations, or he's, he's written the manual on how to live, so people were living according to the course of this world. It's basically our best attempt to figure out how to live without knowing what God says. In time past, those that were lost, those were that, that were dead in trespasses and sins, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. What in the world is that? The prince of the power of the air is the devil. It is Satan himself. You say, well, who is Satan? Satan was a created being, an angelic being, the highest angelic being, and he fell. Why did he fall? Because of sin, because of pride. I will be like the most high, he said. And he fell. 
And he took a third of the angels with him. We call them demons. He's the prince of the power of the air. He actually is still in authority on this planet. There's a spiritual war going on at the highest levels. In Daniel, we read about demons that are actually in charge of world leaders. And there's a spiritual battle happening all the time. So we walked according to the course of the world and according to the prince of power of the air. When the devil said jump, you had to jump. That was our pre-saved condition. That was our lost condition. And, And the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we have all three of these things going against us before we were saved. Verse three, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, right? That's pretty much what the world is trying to fulfill, fulfill the lust of their flesh. Whatever they, whatever makes them feel good, they do, right? And without scripture, you wouldn't necessarily know that that's wrong. You wouldn't necessarily know that that's not going to give you the, the, the fulfillment you're looking for. How do we know that? Because people get to the highest pinnacle of whatever they're trying to achieve and they still find their life is empty. What really hit me was when I was interviewing Charlie Duke, the astronaut who walked on the moon. There weren't many people that walked on the moon. He was one of them. And it was, he, he did that space flight on Apollo 16 before he knew Jesus Christ as Savior. And he told me, he said, Pastor, I got back and although I had literally reached the height of success, think about that. You walked on the moon, right? The height of success as a, uh, as an astronaut. And he still felt there was something missing in his life. That struck me because that's it, right? Uh, Solomon said that he, he's tried everything under the sun and he still didn't find real purpose, real satisfaction, real joy. Okay. It's because these are things that are not designed by God to fulfill us. Okay? I'm going to tell you what it is. If you want a fresh start today, I'm going to tell you what it is that, that you're missing. And if you will do this one thing, everything else will be right in your life. Okay? But we were in times past. Oh, by the way, this word conversation is behavior. So it's another word that has changed a little bit. So... Also, we had our behavior in times past in the lust of the flesh. And then it says fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath. What does that mean? Well, that means our, our nature when we're born is the, what we call the flesh nature or the old nature. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you now have a new nature, the spirit nature. The new nature is only good. The old nature is only bad. So what are you going to feed? What are you going to uh, strengthen and exercise? It has to be the new nature. And if you're not strengthening the new nature, you're going to find that even though you're saved and on your way to heaven, you're still failing to uh, obey the Lord in the things that you know that he wants you to do and not do the things he doesn't want you to do. Okay? So we have, before salvation, we only have this old nature as children of wrath. Then... Verse four. So that's, that's kind of like the first uh, several verses of Ephesians two is a lot of uh, bad news, right? But it's true. It's the actual situation. But God, verse four, but God, 
who is what? Rich in mercy. Okay. This is so important to understand God's mercy. If you want a fresh start today, if you want to start over, you can. Let's say you blew it last year. Well, you can have a fresh start this year. Let's say you blew it yesterday. You can have a fresh start today because God's mercies are new every morning. His compassions don't fail. And he's rich in mercy. So the situation was dismal. It was bleak. We were, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the flesh, according to the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We're by nature the children of wrath. We're under the influence of the devil. But God. But God. Who is rich in mercy for his what? Great love wherein he loved us. Okay, so we're, we're connecting God's mercy to his great love. And by the way, these are more than just attributes. God isn't going to be loving one day and unloving the next day, or more loving one day and less loving the next day. This is who he is. It's part of his nature. Okay? How do I know that? Well, we're going to jump over to 1 John. In 1 John 4, it says at the second part of verse 8, God is love. God is love. So again, back to Ephesians 2, 4. He's rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us. We know that God is love. His mercy is tied to his love. And then it says in verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. So if God is love, if he's rich in mercy, if his mercy is new every morning, great is thy faithfulness, how does that affect me? How will that change my life today and this week? Well, his love was manifested toward us. How? Glad you asked. Okay? This is so important. How was God's love manifest toward us? Before I read 1 John 4, 9, the second part of the verse, let me say this. God is love. He is grace. He is mercy. But he cannot ignore sin. Why? Because he's holy, he's righteous, and he's just. Okay? We cannot ignore, we cannot say that, that God is love and he's just going to ignore my sin. He cannot do that. And, and how can I best illustrate this? If someone took your daughter and raped her and murdered her and this man was proven guilty and the judge says, don't worry about it, it's no big deal, I love you, you can go free. We would all say that's wrong because there has to be justice. There has to be right done because, uh, well, first of all, he's going to do it again, most likely. But, but we have this sense, if we're made in the image of God, we, ha- we have this innate sense of right and wrong. If you see a man grab a woman's, old woman's person, run away, we all know that that's wrong, Right? So we have this sense of right and wrong. So God can't just wink at sin. I'm love, I'm mercy, I'm grace. And just don't worry about it, you're fine. No, because his, his righteousness 
burns against sin and rebellion. And it has to. If it didn't, we would live in an awful world. We would live in a world perpetually that's full of violence and lust and everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. And that means that you're going to get whatever you want no matter who you hurt. That's not a world that I want to live in perpetually. It's a world that we, we do live in today. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, God who is love, okay, here's, here's how God's holiness and God's love came together in an amazing way. Look at verse 9, the second half of verse 9 of 1 John 4. Because that God, here it is, sent. This is an action. God the Father sent his only begotten Son, that is Jesus, the Son, into the world. This is the way that God was going to reconcile his holiness and his love, and it met on the cross when his son was nailed to the cross. Okay? His son was perfect and holy and righteous. He did incredible things. He had he, he was a man of compassion, right? He was actually accused. Well, he's he's eating with sinners. Jesus, you know, he's he's uh he's uh, hanging out with people of ill repute. Well, why? Because he cares about our problems. He cares about our souls. And so he came and he healed and he helped and he showed a great example. But that's not why he came. He came to meet God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's justice with his love, his grace, and his mercy. And that met on the cross. That met on the cross. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. If you want to have a fresh start, you need to learn how to live through him. Okay. Now, that verse continues, 1 John 4, verse 10. Herein is love. Okay, here it is. If you really want to understand God, if you really want to understand life, herein is love. Not that we love God. Apart from God and his action of sending his son, we could never find hope. We can never please God. We can never earn eternal life. We wouldn't even try to earn eternal life. But God sent his son here in his love. Not that we love God. This is such an important uh, sentence right here. But that he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You say, what in the world does propitiation mean? Well, listen, this is a word that's... a, a. very important, profound word. And I'm going to give you a picture, and this picture should show you what a propitiation is. And here it is. I'm showing you a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. You say, why in the world would you show a picture of the Ark of the Covenant to explain propitiation? God demonstrating his love. God uh, loved us before we loved him. Jesus became a propitiation for our sin. What is that? Right here on the Ark of the Covenant, on the top of the lid, between the two angels, the two cherubim, once a year was to be poured blood. The sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. The sacrifice once a year would be poured right there. And that is a propitiation. 
It actually has the, the English word translated from the Greek word translated from the Hebrew all has a connection to the mercy seat. This is called the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant's lid. The place where our uh, God's wrath, God's righteousness, God's anger was satisfied by that annual blood sacrifice. Now that was just a picture of a final sacrifice that would come. And there's a real Ark of the Covenant in heaven. We know in Revelation, the temple, the tabernacle, all of the items there were, were replicas of items that are real in heaven. The blood of Jesus poured on the altar, the innocent, perfect human sacrifice was poured on the altar, mercy seated, propitiation. It's basically the idea of uh, providing an atonement since we could not save ourselves and God loves us, but his anger has to be satisfied. His holiness has to be satisfied. He put his anger, his wrath upon his son for our sins. His son died. His, pu- his blood was shed. He rose again for he's alive. But the, the final ultimate atoning sacrifice, the propitiation was put on the mercy seat for you. Okay. Now, because of that, because of that, God's mercy is renewed toward us every day. If this hadn't happened, we would not have that. And we would just be people on our way to hell. Now, the solution for God to satisfy his anger, his wrath against sin, God, God said, if I punish man for his sin, he will go to hell forever. If I don't punish man for his sin, my justice is never satisfied. So what he did was to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his grace, but to also satisfy his holiness, he put our sins upon his son. The solution of God was to send his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Okay, let's look at 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Here is the key. Here is the answer. Okay, if you want a fresh start, and we're going to go into this in detail next time, but I'm going to give you the, the surface understanding of it today. It's all about your relationship with God. First, you need to be saved. How? By putting your faith in Jesus, not in your religion, not in a church or priest or pastor, not in some sort of a regimen of work or ritual, but you put your faith in Jesus, the son of God who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. It's that simple. You believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. You're saved. Immediately, you're saved. Now, if I want to have a a proper relationship with God, I need to love him and I need to love other people. Okay. So let me just say this. If our relationship with God is right, our relationship with our spouse will be right. You understand what I'm trying to say? If our relationship with God is right, our relationship with our kids are going to be right. Okay, it's that simple. If our relationship with God is right, our relationship with our family is going to be right. If our relationship with God is right, our relationship with our neighbors are going to be right. If our relationship with God is right, our relationship with our boss is going to be right. You say, oh, I'd like to see that. Well, try it. If our relationship with God is right, our relationship with our coworkers will be right. 
Our life is all about relationships. But we have to first make sure our relationship with God is right. And then from that will flow a a way of making sure that we have the relationships we need, we want with those around us. Okay. So if you're having problems with any relationship, I would ask that uh, you use these important words more. This is a list of words that people need to use more. Okay. Number one, the six most important words you can use to help make sure your relationships are better with other people. I admit I made a mistake. And by the way, that's uh, uh, six words that you need to use with your relationship with God too. Okay. I admit I made a mistake. Now, sometimes we call it a mistake instead of just saying, I rebelled, I sinned, I wanted to do it my way, I I didn't care about anybody else, I didn't care about God. Just let's admit it, okay? Now, I'm not saying that's how you're saved because we we are sinners. Salvation is by uh, by grace through faith, and I'm saved by just realizing I'm a sinner and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But how can I have a proper relationship with God? As we walk, our feet are gonna get dirty, and there's a, a way that as we, as we see that we're, we've done something to, to offend or something that, that uh, was against God, tell them that. I did wrong. And use this with other people, and this will help your relationships. Number five, the five most important words, you did a good job. Okay? Being a person that, that is uh, complimentary when possible. Uh, you, you might have to criticize sometimes, but let's always err on the side of compliments. You did a good job. The four most important words that you can use in your fresh start, in your relationships, what do you think? Now, when you say, what do you think, you really better want to know what she thinks, he thinks, they think, okay? Um, getting other people's opinion and valuing it, understanding what they're saying, listening to them. Uh, the three most important words for a fresh start this year are after you, please. After you, please. I love it when I watch people going through a doorway and every now and then people still hold the door for you. Sometimes it's like this rush to get in a door and sometimes people are polite, but after you, please, three most important words. Number two, the two most important words is thank you. Why is, is thank you such an important part of relationships with God and with man? It's because you're acknowledging the person's uh, love for you and care for you and value. Okay, When you say thank you, you're taking your value away and you're adding it to that other person. Very important. Number one, the most important word, we. We. And the least most important word is I. Now, let me tell you this. When God created us, in Genesis we read about, like, why, why did God create us? Why, why are we here? Well, the reason is written in the Bible, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 is talking about creation. 3 is talking about our fall, but 3 also gives us a clue of why we're here. Because it says that Adam and Eve would normally walk with God in the garden. So that gives us a clue. The reason we were created, the reason that we're here is to have 
a relationship with God. To have fellowship with God. When you're walking with someone, and I don't know about you, but but Karen and I really love to go on walks. And we'll try to go every day a couple miles or, or whatever. We go on walks. And while you're walking with someone, see, when you're running together, you can't talk because you're out of breath, right? That's why I, I think running is terrible. Walking, you can talk. You can have a conversation. Try to not, not have your, your phone on or at least keep it in your pocket. And you're talking and you're walking. And there's a, there's a sweet fellowship you're noticing things. You're pointing out things. Karen and I look for deer. We look for squirrels. We look for owls now. You know, it's just, it's just a pleasant thing to do. You're walking along and, and you're having that fellowship, that communion, that intimate relationship with the other person. That's why we're here to do that with God, to have that close relationship. And if your relationship with Him is right, everything else you can eventually get right in your life. But it has to be the relationship with him first. That's why we're here. Okay? Now, we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. And we've already been there, but we're going to end there as well. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to pick up again in verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in sin, so we're going back to the, the way that this chapter started. We were dead in sins, hath quickened us. Now you know what that word means. It means what? Made alive. Quickened us. Made, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Okay? So we were dead in sins. We were made alive with Christ. By grace we are saved. So how? It's when we put our faith in Christ. Christ is the word that means Messiah. If you say Christ, you're saying Messiah, okay? Salvation's by grace. And then it says in verse six, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the relationship that you now have with your Messiah, with Jesus, with Christ. We are literally sitting together in heavenly places. I love that. I love the idea of that. That's your position. That's how saved you are, right? You're, you're actually sitting in heavenly places with Christ because of his resurrection, our faith in him. We are, in essence, resurrected in newness of life. And then in verse 7, in Ephesians 2, it says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. We already read about the, rich, the rich, richness of his mercy we're talking about the riches of his grace, and it says the ages to come. How many ages are there to come? Lots and lots and lots. It's an eternal time period. So in the ages to come, he's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace and in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This is the, the whole purpose of us being here is for God to showcase who he is and his love and his mercy and his grace. His mercies are new every morning. His compassions don't fail. Great is thy faithfulness. You see how that passage in the Old Testament ties in so beautifully with this passage in the New Testament? There's an incredible continuity 
across thousands of years by many different authors, all guided by the Spirit of God to give us the Scripture. And then the verses that we love so much explain eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are ye saved, saved from what? Saved from hell, through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves. See, this is where most people get it wrong. You look at all world religions, including supposed Christianity, and it's us trying to, by ritual, by sacrifice, by offering, by prayer, three times a day, five times a day, facing one way or the other, earn eternal life, earn paradise, earn nirvana. The Bible says you cannot, therefore you're saved through faith. It's by grace that you're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is what? The gift of God. If you want to have a fresh start, if you want to have a proper relationship with God, you have to start here. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You're walking to the court in the course of this world. You're basically doing whatever the prince of the power of the air tells you to do. But God, but God changed all that by meeting his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice with his grace, his love, and his mercy at the cross. And Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And if we, by faith, put our trust in him, not of ourselves, we are accepting this, what, gift, okay? A gift is something that you give, it's free. If you pay for a gift, it's not a gift. If you work for a gift, it's not a gift. If you take a gift back, it's not a gift. A gift is free, no strings attached, and it's forever, okay? And then verse nine says, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot get to heaven by works. If you could, then the death of Jesus would have been a waste. No, you can't do it. No one's gonna stand there in heaven and boast about the fact that that you did your part or you did your good works and, and you deserve to be there. None of us will deserve to be there. But by the grace of God, and that's uh, us receiving God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love by faith in his dear son, Jesus. And then once that happens, now we can have the relationship with God that we need to have. And that's a daily walk. That's a daily dependence on him. It's a daily reading of scripture. It's a daily communication with prayer to have this relationship that's strong with God. And that's going to flow down to those that are around us. In verse 10 in Ephesians 2, it says, for we are his workmanship. This is after salvation. This is the point of good works. We are his workmanship. In other words, he's going to be using us to do something great that can show his glory and his love and his mercy and his, his uh, uh, grace and love to the world. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The Bible says that when, when we put our trust in Christ, we are in him. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We're in him and he's in us through the spirit of God. So we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Good works do have a place, not for salvation, not to stay saved, but because we are saved, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is the walk, the daily walk with Christ. And if you can get that right, first be saved and then walk with Christ, all of your relationships will be the way that God has intended them to be. Now, there are ornery people in this world. There's ornery neighbors and ornery coworkers and ornery spouses. Uh, there's just ornery people, but we still need to do right. 
We need to do what's right. Sometimes in life, my wife and I are talking or our pastors and I are talking and we're trying to decide what to do. And I say, listen, we just got to do right. No matter what the other person does or doesn't do, don't worry about that. Just do right. And we can, we can figure out what is right by his word. And having that close walk with the Lord, he'll, he'll help us. That's, that's the idea of the walk is we're with him and we can bounce things off him. We can ask for his advice. We can say, Lord, this, this person I'm living with that I married and I once loved, I just don't understand them anymore, right? But, but he can give us insight. He can help us. He can guide us in the, in the, the trickinesses of the relationships that we, li- that we have in this sin-cursed world. And by the way, one day, all of those problems will be gone because those that have received Christ by, by faith you will no longer have the old nature. That's in heaven. But while we're on this earth, it's still something that we'll have to figure out. But that's only going to be achieved by walking with the Lord on a daily basis. So let me ask you the question. Do you want a fresh start? I think we all do. We know it's available. We know a God is a God of mercy, God of grace. Have you received that grace? Have you received uh, his, his love? It's amazing what he's done for us. Let's just realize that uh, he paid for our sins on the cross and rose again. Let me show it to you this way. My hand represents all of us. We all have, this is sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus was perfect. He had no sin. My right hand is Jesus. And then he became sin, taking the, the phone that represents sin out of my left hand into my right hand. Jesus paid for our sin. He took upon himself our sin on the cross when God's holiness was was met by his love. At the same time, Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And he says, if you'll believe in me, look what happens, putting my hands together, you have everlasting life. In other words, you're in the hand of God. How do you get in the hand of God? You believe. You put your hand of faith in his hand. You trust in him. And when you do, the Bible says that you won't perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful message? It's the message of the Bible. It's the message of hope. And if you'll believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, you'll be saved today, tomorrow, and forever.